Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to The World Is Wrong Podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Top five. Could you put some stank on it? <laughs> Top five, motherfucker. We're going to skate to one song, one song only. Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films the world is wrong about. I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm Brian Connolly, the other host. And together, we're here to celebrate a film of your choosing, Brian. What film is that? We're going to be doing the Chris Rock written and directed starring film Top 5. Top Five. Top five. <laughs> so let's go to a clip, and then why don't you tell us about it? What's up? This is Andre Allen, and when I listen to satellite radio, I listen to Serious Hits One. That's um, that's good. Just uh, just make it a little funnier. Funnier? You're a funny guy. Make it more funny. Okay. Hey, what's up? This is Andre Allen, and when I listen to Satellite Radio, I listen to Serious Hits 1. Just, you know, say, just put a little, uh, put a little stank on it. Stank. 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 Stank? Give it stank. Okay, I, I don't really know what you mean. Uh, could you show me? <laughs> You're the funny, I'm not, I'm, okay, all right, it's like, Hey, this is Andre Allen, and when I listen to satellite radio, whoa, I listen to Serious Hits 1. Woo! Stank. Stank. Nice and funny. Go. What's up, motherfuckers? This is motherfucking Andre Allen, and when I listen to satellite radio, or scratch my nuts, that is, I listen to serious motherfucking 101, bitch. First take was good. So the plot of this movie is uh, Chris Rock plays Andre Allen, who was once a great stand-up comedian, now kind of doing schlocky comedies where he's dressed up as a bear, or Oscar Beatty movies where he's uh, leading a Haitian slave revolt. Uh, Haitia, I think, right? Is that correct? Haitia? Haitia? Haiti? Haiti. Haiti. But Haitian slave revolt, right? Yes. 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 So, so he's about to get married to a reality TV star played by Gabrielle Union. And so while they're planning this wedding in New York City, cameras are everywhere. He's constantly being followed. And he's taking a little break. Uh, but while he's taking his break and doing some of the kind of the lead up that he has to do for his wedding, he's being followed around by a reporter uh, played by Rosario Dawson. And she is trying to kind of get more of a window into uh, the intimate 
uh, more truthful side of Andre Allen, and he at first is very reluctant to kind of give up uh, information, but then he warms to her pretty quickly, and you're basically spending a day, uh, what almost feels like real time, uh, with these people as they go all over New York City, as he's kind of getting things ready for his wedding, but also just seeing his friends, and he's uh, led around by... Um, <clears throat> Uh, J.B. Smooth, Smooth, who's sort of like his kind of bodyguard slash like guy who's helping him out, drives him around, and you get to meet along the way members of his family, his friends, uh, and it kind of feels like it kind of definitely has this like throwback in a way to like the way indie movies used to be in the 90s. It's kind of, they're kind of like uh, that Kevin Smith, Richard Linklater, we're hanging out with people and just hearing them talk for the whole movie. No explosions, no crazy. Uh, there's a little bit of violence. Uh, and it also reminds me a lot of the uh, 80s films of Steve Martin and a little bit of Albert Brooks. This sort of like stand-up comedian now making a movie, and the movie is full of the kind of comedy that we knew from their stories and jokes they told on stage. And it's very much, in a way, kind of autobiographical, but also can be really silly and funny at the same time. Um this movie did okay. It made its money back. It did well. Uh, critically, pretty good. Uh, and uh, I and I love it. I think this movie is really great. And I think it's... like Chris Rock, in my mind, can never do wrong. Like I've always loved him. But this is my favorite uh, movie that he has made. And I hope he makes more of them. Right on. Well, how is the world wrong about this fabulous film? When I saw this movie, and I saw it when it came out, I was like, well, that's clearly one of the best movies of the year. It's not just a good movie. It is a great movie. It is very well written. It is very, it's just really funny. It's got a unique voice. And yet, despite being liked by people, it just kind of went away quickly once it was done with theaters. It was up for no real awards. Like, in my mind, this is the type of movie that should win some sort of you know, Boston Film Critics Association Award, or maybe nominated for a screenplay. But as we have talked about before, the Oscars hate comedies. Why? I don't know, because they're a bunch of jerks. <laughs> but I feel like this movie, since 2013 when it came out, it's kind of been buried. It's kind of not really talked about so much. People are always, I think, looking to the next thing that Chris Rock is doing. And I think it's time to look back and revisit this movie that I think is really, really good and really, really funny. Right on. Right on. Well, I, I certainly enjoyed it. Watched it twice. And uh, I'm, you know, and I've, I haven't seen his film. I think I love my wife, but I remember really loving Head of State. Yeah. And uh, those are his only three films that he's directed, mm -hmm. as far as I'm aware. Uh, do you, have you seen I Think I Love My Wife? I have not, but I, it, it sounds interesting because it's like a remake of a French movie. I think it's like a remake of a Romare movie or something like that. And it's co-written with Louis C.K. I definitely should watch that movie. Like, I feel like that could be really good. Yeah, maybe uh, the world is... You know, maybe we, we'll have to do a part two of this. <laughs> um, could get us into territory of the world is wrong about Louis C.K. And then... <laughs> We'll just wait for those calls to come in. <laughs> and so, like, I, what I like about this movie, it definitely builds on, like, in the 90s, you had, like, I mentioned Richard Linklater, you had his sort of before his Sunrise Sunset movies, which was Julie uh, Delpy and Ethan Hawke walking around Europe and just talking. Like, there's no real plot. There's no big scenes. It's just sort of like, let's, it's, it's a hangout movie. I love hangout movies. 
And then she was inspired to direct her own two movies, Two Days in Paris and Two Days in New York. Two Days in New York she did with Chris Rock. And both those movies are based on improv. And there's a lot of like uh, the like a lot of the scenes are based on uh, improving improvisation. This movie feels less improv top five, but it definitely is sort of the adjacent, you know, cousin to uh, Two Days in New York and, and the, the Sunrise movies. Like, did you feel that when you watched this? Like, this definitely is in that world of that kind of movie. Yeah, definitely. When I went back and watched Two Days in new york it struck me as that it's like chris rock is his just his voice is so unique and he's one of those stars who being in the film unlike those link letter films even though you kind of get a sense of him that's ethan hawk who's there talking it's not richard Linkletter walking around talking with julie delpy so to its credit it sort of stands out as being a Chris Rock film more than being a film that is part of another lineage. Yeah. To me. Like when you when you initially suggested it to me, you said it was like a Woody Allen movie. And I was like, I, I don't remember any Woody Allen movies with scenes in strip clubs <laughs> or dealing with addiction. And it's not at all like a Woody Allen film. It's like a Chris Rock film. Yeah. So it, it just makes me... Like I said, it makes me curious about that other film. I think I love my wife. And it makes me curious to know what Chris Rock's entire filmography as a director is going to look like when he's done. Because he's clearly a filmmaker. Yeah. And he's such a beloved figure. It seems like he's a guy who could probably make a movie whenever he wants to make a movie. So he's making the movies that he wants, right? I mean, it's not like he's trying to make super expensive. Like this movie top five it made money it didn't cost a lot of money it made money and it goes on the shelf on his filmography and you're like that's a solid film and it doesn't you know it feels like chris rock yeah and although i did have a a question do you think it doesn't seem like it's about chris rock i think well he he said in an interview that he based this on kevin smith's life because he's good friends with kevin smith and I guess Kevin Smith's wife is a reporter and that's how they met. Like she was following him around or like hanging out with him and they fell in love. And Chris Rock was like, that sounds like a great movie. I want to make that movie. And so there's that kind of is the kernel is sort of like the basic plot. But there's definitely a lot of elements of this movie that feels kind of semi-autobiographical. I think especially sort of like the idea of... um him being so famous and having all these people constantly wanting to like that whole scene, the, my favorite whole segment of the movie, one of my favorite is this flashback to Houston where it's him going to Houston to do a job. And Cedric, the entertainer brilliantly plays this guy who's just sort of like setting him up in Houston to give him all the cool shit, give him the ladies, give him the drugs. What do you want? And that felt like it must've been from a true place. Like the details in that whole segment seem like not from the imagination but from experience because i mean chris rock's been famous for a very long time now and has you know been always like really famous and like i can see this happening to him having this thing that seems like an awesome setup of promise of sex and drugs and a party and have it go horribly wrong 
ending with him in the fetal position on a semen-covered bed, <laughs> crying. <laughs> so, it's the second <laughs> film you suggested that has a uh, bedsheet covered with bodily fluids as a sight gag. <laughs> you know, this is just my thing. <laughs> it's what I'm into. <laughs> but that that whole part feels like that could be a thing that he went through. And so I, I feel like it's not... Like, yeah, I don't think he... Like he, like the whole all the other plot doesn't feel like him, but like the friends in this movie are his actual friends. Like you have that great um, bachelor party scene with the best like friend group you ever would want on a crazy bachelor party of Whoopi Goldberg, Jerry Seinfeld, and our old friend Adam Sandler. Now, I, <laughs> there's a part of me while I was watching it, I could because it's like it's this guy who was great. It was a great stand up who's gotten known for making goofy comedies. And now doesn't do stand up. I couldn't help but think about Eddie Murphy. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It def- it feels like there's it, some because has Chris Rock ever stopped doing stand up? He's never no, stopped doing. And stand-up. he's never stopped doing really funny things. And like he, it was also always was doing some dramatic stuff too. So like he's always kind of been doing both more comedy than drama. Like when he does a drama role, it's very rare. But. Um, He's great in this late, latest season of Fargo. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that? No, yeah, I have not. He's... But he was also oh. really good in like New Jack City, you know, and uh, so like he can show up in all sorts of things. Like he is very talented, uh, and so I. But I can't feel like this movie taps into thing that probably all comedians get, where they just want people. The public just wants you to be funny. Like I think Jim Carrey has gone through this too. It's like. We want you to be funny. Don't do an Oscar movie. Like, be just be funny. And you're, you're, I think when you're a comedian, you're expected to be funny all the time, <laughs> which is then why you get these kind of angry, bitter comedians like Jerry Lewis, because it's like, I'll be funny, kid, when I feel funny or when I want you to think that I'm funny. But like, other than that, leave me alone. Let me be <laughs> the serious guy. <laughs> I mean, it. How many comedians have made their version of Sullivan's Travels? Like, this kind of is, it's different, but it's basically that same dilemma. Yeah. You yeah. know, and when when you look at the reviews of this on Wikipedia, it's compared to Stardust Memories. Uh, and there's that, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can just go through, there's, it seems like, yeah, as you said, this is a consistent complaint for the funny folk. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, but like no one ever says that the other way around when someone who's really serious does, like when Kenneth Branagh is going to do like a comedy, no one's like, hey, you're a Shakespearean actor, what are you doing? Doing something funny. Like you should be doing something serious. Like no, like it doesn't really work the other way around as much. Like we'll be totally happy if Anthony Hopkins or Tommy Lee Jones are funny in a movie, you know? But when it's when it's the reverse, for some reason people get really apprehensive <laughs> towards is it. Is it really? I feel like it's the opposite. I mean, you know, uh, uh, let's think of some examples. So certainly Adam Sandler gets more props for being serious than for being funny. Yeah. Robin Williams got more props for being serious than being funny. Yeah. Steve Martin hasn't done it much, but people, I feel like people really dug the Spanish prisoner. Uh, yeah, Bill Murray didn't get a lot of love for for The Razor's Edge, but since then he's done certainly enough serious films where people buy him as 
I don't know. It depends what you think of if you think of them as serious. Yeah, like he always has some whiff of comedy to him. But you know, Lost in Translation isn't a comedy. But I think you're you're, I think you though you're basing this opinion on people like us. Like we can understand that. But when you look at like user comments for Uncut Gems, a lot of people hate it because they didn't think it was funny because they wanted it to be an Adam Sandler movie. You know, like I think the the public in large wants Jim Carrey to be funny. They don't want him trying to win an Oscar. They want him to, to make them laugh. And I, and I, and I think that uh, like critics and film fans can ex- accept these people doing, taking chances and being interesting. But I think like people who just watch movies who aren't, aren't as passionate as we are about movies in general are mad when comedians are trying to be serious. Yeah. I'm, this week we may, <laughs> I think we may we may differ on this one just because I'm just thinking about it. It's like because I, I like I get your point that the Academy hates comedies, but it's these comedy actors keep getting nominated for Academy Awards playing. You know, Robin Williams gets nominated for Good Will Hunting and Jim Carrey gets nominated for The Truman Show or, you know, I guess is The Truman Show a comedy? I don't know. So it's, yeah, it's clearly there's something, at least from the standpoint of the comedians, there must be some sense of, I want to be taken seriously. Maybe it's more like, it is sort of like an envy thing of like, (laughs) yeah, I know I can be funny, but I want some of that Robin Williams (laughs) respect. I want some of that Jim Carrey respect for playing, (laughs) you know, I want to be in an Oscar movie. Yeah. And then on, on top of that with Chris Rock, and this is, you know, what he's bringing is the focus on race like when Jim Carrey makes a serious movie he's not also making a serious I mean making a statement about you know where he comes from as a person and that that reflects on other people Mm -hmm. you know unless you're a tall gangly impressionist he's not like representing you whereas Chris Rock you know, he's making a movie about a slave revolt. And so he's trying to not just make a serious movie, but make a statement movie in a way that... Try to think of other comedians. I mean, that's it's sort of like Jerry Lewis and The the Day the Clown Cried. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I don't feel like Woody Allen's ever made, like a statement movie that it's about, about like anti-Semitism. No, I mean, the closest he made was the front and it wasn't a, it wasn't a Woody Allen film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, we're getting kind of a far away from talking about this movie. This is an interesting conversation about comedy and, and uh, seriousness and the Oscars and respect, but we should get it because this movie itself is, it's, it's one of those films that really, it's a comedy that benefits from a second watch. Because the first time you watch it, you're just sort of going along for the ride of how fun it is. Mm -hmm. And then on the second watch, you start to get, oh, this is a filmmaker doing some, you know, this is the first time it's a movie. The second time it's a film, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. So why don't you walk us through some of the things that you love about this film? Um, I mean, I just it's just such a pleasant to watch movie. Like, like, like you said, like Chris Rock has such a unique voice. And I just love hearing him talk about anything. And he has such a unique point of view about everything. And this movie is just has that great thing of just you're kind of eavesdropping on these wonderful conversations of like kind of just about things in life and things in pop culture. And I really and when you have someone who's really smart and funny like Chris Rock, that's 
a great thing to sit and watch. Like this movie couldn't, it just like couldn't be boring to me, you know, cause he's just, I just could hear him talk about anything. And I just think a lot of the, the, and he's also a very generous director and comedian cause he's allowing everybody else to be very funny in this movie as well. Like there's not the ego of I'm the funny one and you people just make me keep me funny. Like the, there's so much talent in this movie and they're all very funny. Like that whole scene where he goes to his old neighborhood and there's that hilarious part where this guy is kind of like being a jerk to him and then kind of asks him for money. And it's revealed that it's his dad <laughs> played by Ben Vereen. <laughs> and I've never seen Ben Vereen be funny, but he was really funny. That scene was really Shut funny. Shut up. Um, T- 10 speed and brown shoe. Come on. <laughs> I've never seen that. <laughs> you never seen 10 speed and brown shoe. No. Oh my God. Ben He's hilarious in, in uh, all that jazz. Is he funny in that? Well, not. I think he's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then that leads into the scene where it's like all these great SNL people together. Uh, you have uh, Leslie Jones and uh, Tracy Morgan and Michael Shea and um, bleh, Jay Farrow. And that scene's great. And everybody in that scene's being really funny. And I know that scene almost feels, that scene feels kind of improv for sure. It feels like these people are so funny. We're just going to put them in a room together. And, um, and it has that kind of feel like when you watch certain things uh, with comedians where they're trying to out funny each other and make each other laugh. And that scene is great. Um, and that's the scene where they start talking about uh, their top five in the movie, the top five is the list of your favorite rap hip hop artists. And, uh, and there's, and there's a lot of, it's interesting. There's a lot of Charlie Chaplin references in this movie. Uh, he, uh, Rosario Dawson asks him what he thinks about Chaplin. He's like, Oh, he's great. Like, like the father of comedy. And then when he does his top five, he talks about KRS one being the Chaplin, <laughs> Charlie Chaplin of hip hop. And then the bet, my favorite scene in the movie is he goes to jail and in jail is DMX and DMX does a cover of Charlie Chaplin's song Smile, which is such a magical, great moment in this movie. Uh, let's definitely play that on this episode. To hear DMX do his version of Smile is so good. And at that moment, I heard this crazy sound. Uh, uh, uh. Wow, DMX, what are you doing here? Really? What am I doing here? I'm X, man. I live in this motherfucker, man. Don't you watch the news? Damn, homie. I respect the fuck out of your shit, man. Uprise? I'm going to see that as soon as I get out, man. Yo, man, thanks a lot, man. I'm a big fan of yours, too. One thing I really respect about you, why I fuck with you for real, son, is that you won't let the industry box you in. Pretty much on some same shit, yo. I'm kind of tired of rapping, man. Plus, I got so much more to offer. That's what I always say, man. I got so much more to offer. You got a minute? Yeah. Check this out. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. Smile through the pain and sorrow. What? 
smile and maybe tomorrow you'll see the sun come shining through for you. I'm expressing myself over here, Dylan. Light up your face with gladness. Hide every trace of sadness. And although a tear is ever so near, that's the time. You must keep on trying. Smile. What's the use of crying? You'll find the life is still worthwhile. You just smile, motherfucker. Smile. And I kind of felt like (laughs) that's so good. The way he just goes, what? And does his, (laughs) he really puts his stank on it. (laughs) And then, of course, going back to what we talked about with people wanting comedians to be funny. I love the scene where Chris Rock has to record an intro, like a little message on a radio and then the comedian uh, Brian Reagan is t- keeps telling him like put some stink on it, make it you know like God do more, and <laughs> that scene is great. And I'd imagine that's definitely something that Chris Rock probably lived through that moment. I can see that happening to a lot of comedians, of people just being like make it funny, just be funny, make it funnier. And funny for some people isn't a thing you can just do out of nowhere. It actually requires work and thought. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I that's I that's that's uh, I'm glad you explained that because that explains how why our intro was the way it was. <laughs> no work or thought put into it. Um <laughs> is that what you mean? <laughs> put some stank on it. You know. <laughs> yeah, so those are like my favorite th- those are my favorite scenes. But overall, I think the movie just it just kind of moves along very nicely. And I, you know, I wish, I want Chris Rock to make more movies. I think he's a very, like you said, he's a good, he's a real filmmaker. This isn't just turn on a camera and be funny. Like this is like an actual movie with a, with a point of view. And it's weird that Chris Rock really hasn't been talked about as a filmmaker yet. Like usually when actors turn directors, it's kind of a big deal for some people or people are kind of like interested in looking at what's going on there. But I don't hear anyone talk about Chris Rock as a filmmaker. Yeah, that is. He's directed three movies. Yeah, he directed three movies. And well, he's and he's I mean, he's still directing. He, he's directing. Uh, I see that he directed the pilot for Keenan, the new TV series. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think that it's. Basically, wherever an artist like Chris Rock might seem to be slighted, there's the, you know, there's sort of the obvious route to go. And it's like, well, is it because he's black that he doesn't get this respect as an art, as a director? And that's certainly that's certainly possible. And at the same time, with someone like Chris Rock, you see it feels like he's so well known and so well loved and not like he does not seem like one of those artists who's pigeonholed. Like yeah. I said, he just played a, a dramatic role at the center of the new season of Fargo. He seems like he's a guy who can pretty much do what he wants and go where he wants. So there's a part of me that fe- that wonders if he's happy enough just like sort of skating under the radar as a director and making <laughs> in a way like it's it is in that sense it's maybe like the Woody Allen model like let me make 
I'm going to make not very expensive movies filled with people I can trust and like and just build up what I do. And as long as I can do it and make it, I don't need to, I don't need my films to be a huge hit. And I don't need to be like I don't want to go to the Oscars and be a part of that. I just want to as a filmmaker, I just want to make my movies and have people get out of my way. And maybe <laughs> like, like I just don't you get the feeling like Chris Rock, if he wanted to give top five to put top five in the top five things you know about Chris Rock, he could do that. He mm-hmm. could give it that extra push. Cause it's not like it's again, unlike this film, it's not like he made a film that's difficult to like. This is a film that's filled with not just him, but other very beloved actors in really engaging performances. Mm-hmm. And I not, not to suggest that anyone like works like he's like, he's working against his success, but I wonder I wonder if there is just something about like being enough of a celebrity and being famous enough that it's like uh, another thing to get famous about big deal, you know? <laughs> like, as I feel like when George Clooney directs a movie, I always hear about it. I always hear like, oh, there's a new George Clooney movie. He directed it, whether he's in it or not. It's like a thing that people talk about or that I hear about. But like Chris Rock has directed three movies. I didn't know he directed anything till I saw this and even after top five, people weren't talking about Chris Rock. And I think he's going to probably keep doing things under the radar. And what we're going to have is like in 10, 15, 20 years, this amazing kind of secret filmography of this great filmmaker that people aren't appreciating now, but maybe hopefully they will in the future when they look back at Chris Rock's career. They're like, oh, he directed a bunch of movies. Well, what's that all about? I just thought there was a movies that he was starred in. And when you watch the movies... Again, like a second time, like you said, you look at it not just as a movie starring Chris Rock, but now a movie that he directed, that he is behind this. Like, this is his story he's telling us. And that makes it even more interesting. And so I'm hoping that people will, maybe this episode will make people, if they saw this movie already, rewatch it with the, in the mindset of, like, he's the filmmaker behind us, not just the performer. Did you, had you seen Head of State? Yeah, the movie's great. <laughs> and that's definitely felt more like a straightforward... Like, that feels like more like a bigger crowd-pleasing comedy than even this movie. Like, that's a movie that a lot of people saw. Like, Head of the State was more broad. But there still is, like, satire in there. And there still is, like, that Chris, that strong Chris Rock voice that is just inescapable if he's doing anything. Yeah. Maybe George Clooney's just a more insecure person. <laughs> I want people to know I directed this. <laughs> I mean, there is, I don't know, like it's, I know, not, no personal judgments, but I do feel like, so George Clooney, like we were talking about comedians who want to be taken seriously as actors. There's this other thing of like, if you're a famous actor and you only act in other people's movies, you never get to make any statement whatsoever other than, you know, if you win an Oscar and then you make a statement and everyone gets mad at you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess you can, you know, you have an, a social media presence and you can be a person who tweets a lot. But artistically, it feels like Chris Rock can go out onto a stage and tell people what he thinks and yeah. people listen. Yeah. Whereas George Clooney doesn't. He has to make a movie in order to be heard and any, yeah. like as an artist. Yeah. So maybe there's that too. It's like without being a director, he has no voice. Whereas Chris Rock doesn't need directing to have a voice. 
He has a yeah. massive voice. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. it's so funny. Yeah. He's, have you noted, you notice this about comedians? Like when you talk about them, you start to, like if you've watched them enough, you start to like feel them in your body. Like feel the, <laughs> like I can feel like little bits of Chris Rock's rhythm coming through. And when I say like, hey, you know, like I'm talking about it, I don't need, I don't need to be a director. Like I can feel him <laughs> saying that. And I guess that's the sense. Like his voice, as a comedian, your voice can be so strong. That's true. That other people... It's like with a song you can sing along and with an with a comedian you can just sort of take on their mm-hmm. persona. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I talk about Woody Allen it's very easy for me to fall into talking <laughs> like Woody <laughs> as with every actor in all of his movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very that's a very strong comedic voice, mm-hmm. right? I yeah. mean, can you imagine if Chris if Chris Rock made 10 films with other actors playing the Chris Rock character. Yeah. That would be They'd interesting. Probably... If he st- Maybe he would be more respected as a filmmaker if he started making movies that weren't starring him, because then the only Chris Rock that you're looking at is that he's the director or the writer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's directing the pilot for Keenan. So. Yeah. And he is, I mean, we are saying he's not getting respect for this. He is being talked about for writing things like the upcoming saw movie is based on some story he wrote. And I guess he's wrote a new screenplay that he says is his kind of weird version of bad Lieutenant. Will that star him? I don't know. I'll watch the shit out of whatever that could be. <laughs> so like that's which bad Lieutenant. I don't know. I don't know if he means the Abel Ferrero one or the Herzog one or just in general, but like there was definitely some buzz about him kind of being the behind the scenes on saw, but more like it was just that it was weird. It's like, isn't this weird that Chris Rock is working on a Saw movie as the writer or one of the writers? Um, I'm trying to think of like, is it a, I feel like who who is an actor who is a director who kind of has made things under the radar that are really good, that like people don't talk about them as a filmmaker. Then you watch it and you're like, oh, these are really good. I Nobody's, because like Robert Redford gets, heaps of praise when he directs a thing you know people talk about it like george clooney does. duvall yeah robert you know duvall? what you're totally right it's robert duvall that De- yes because he is a brilliant filmmaker all of the movies he made the apostle uh, assassination tango and uh, angelo my love are all really good and very unique and clearly like like this is the stuff that he like is doing is like it's very much him, but it's also like not like any other movie that he would act in for somebody else. You're right; he is totally Chris Rock is maybe like a Robert Duvall. I think a lot of people don't know that Robert Duvall directs movies. I'm glad I said Robert Duvall instead of John Favreau. Then <laughs> I think people like know John Favreau as a filmmaker now yeah. more so than even an actor. Like. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Iron yeah. Man. And all. But like Robert Duvall. And again, like these movies, Robert Duvall's in those movies. So you could just watch it once and be like, that was just a really good movie starring Robert Duvall. But then you're like, wait a minute. He is behind the scenes. Like also like his voice is in more than just his performance. Uh, yeah. Chris Rock is Robert Duvall. <laughs> I want Chris Rock to direct a movie starring Robert Duvall. That would be <laughs> so good. Right. I would love to, like, 
Robert Duvall is pretty old now. I wonder if he could if he could muster the energy to play a Chris Rock type character. <laughs> well, it, you know, yeah. If 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 the Bad Lieutenant movie stars uh, Robert Duvall as oh, like yeah. an eight, 80 year old uh, naughty police, o- I don't think you can be eighty and be a police officer. But you know, why not? <laughs> why not? If it's Robert Duvall, I believe it. He's still tough. Um. <laughs> do you feel like the the film in top five about the Haitian revolution would have done better if Chris Rock, if Chris Rock's character had directed it, but it cast someone else to play the main character of Duddy Bookman? Huh? That's it. You know what? I think it would. I think I think people would be more into that. What there is? What is it about? Like, okay, we're you know we're you know we're we're spreading the the prejudices around. What is it about the prejudice against actors, like the actor director thing? Because we've talked about Warren Beatty, yeah, and it does seem like, like if you are a director and you are not in your films, I mean, Scorsese can kind of like in Hitchcock and like put themselves yeah, in yeah. in little ways. But if yeah. you're not the star of it, if you don't play the the main role then it seems like there's something about like you take it more seriously as a director where is it where it just doesn't like if you are making a really good if you make reds which is a really good film Uh looks good it's a well-directed film and then you also play the lead role in it seems like you should get more credit rather than less credit but i think maybe it's just that it's not that people don't like comedies or comedians people just don't like actors except we (laughs) love them what is it's so crazy yeah, it's like we love you acting, but don't like what like. And I think people, you know, like going back to George Clooney, a lot of people don't want to hear his opinions on politics. They want him just to be handsome and in a Ocean's Eleven movie, you know. Um, I think a lot of these, uh, I think people like their actors to be. I think people get thrown when people start going out of the familiar and into a new into a new place, and and it throws it throws people off. Like when we first heard that. Uh, David Hasselhoff is a huge singer in Germany. You're like, that doesn't make sense. He's just an actor in these dumb t- TV shows. <laughs> but then you hear that he's, then you see his music and it's not for me, but there's people in Germany that love it. And uh, I think, yeah, actor, director. And what's interesting is it's even within people who are successful at it. It's so like going back to Woody Allen, he made his funny movies. Like he started with these kind of more slapsticky, you know, uh, movies then he made, uh, then he makes like Annie Hall, and it's like, oh, this is a more grown up Woody Allen. This is great. We love it still. It's still very funny, but very poignant. And then he makes uh, Interiors, right? Was that after uh, Annie Hall? Yeah. And that's not a comedy at all, and he's not in it. And a lot of people don't like that movie. I think that movie's great. But that's it threw people off, you know, just being like, wait, like this movie's got good actors and it's good, but like, what is going on here, Woody Allen? And little did we know this is sort of the pattern he'll continue his whole life. And then he makes Stardust Memories, which totally baffles people because then it's about the comedy drama, like, which one do you do? <laughs> and I think that's maybe yeah. why, why I said this movie was like Woody Allen, but I guess that was very misleading because this movie's nothing like a Woody Allen movie, but for some reason... I feel his spirit is in this movie somewhere in a weird way in top five. Yeah, it takes place like, in New York and it's a comedian acting, like a, a comedian making, directing a film about, you know, being a comedian who doesn't yeah. want to be funny. So there's yeah. a, there's an yeah. obvious 
yeah. stardust memory connection. Yes. And yeah. you can see that whole thing that the the Haitian Revolution, what's it called? Revol- Uprise. That's the name of the film in the fi- within the film. That the film Uprise is kind of, you know, it it's getting the same kind of response that Interiors got for Woody Allen. So there is there is something there's definitely something there. Although I'm going to I'm going to keep my money on it being more about Eddie Murphy because <laughs> Yeah, because that sense. It, I think it's because people are so hungry for Eddie Murphy to come back as a stand-up comedian, mm-hmm. and it's almost like the film is saying it could be fun. <laughs> yeah, and I like, and, I, I, and every time uh, Eddie Murphy makes a really good movie, like uh, last year's Dolomite is my name. The next thing everyone says, is, "Oh man, I hope he does stand-up again. I hope he does that. I, I hope. I, I think that'll be great if he does that." And he never does. Um, but <laughs> yeah, what? So that's another thing. What is it about stand-up comedians that people really want them just to do that? They don't. They get uncomfortable when they go beyond that, and or people feel betrayed by it, or they get really sad, mostly that they aren't doing stand-up comedy. Well, I think that's just because that it, that makes sense in the same way that if like when the Beatles stopped touring, you know, yeah. Like, you want to the see idea them. of someone coming to your town yeah. and standing on stage where you could possibly be in their vicinity and he and they do some do or say something new that only you get to see. Yeah, that's true. That, you know, that seems like a very that's very different than watching a movie. Yeah. You know, it's like there's that scene in this where in uh, top five where Chris Rock is saying, you know what I really love is going to one of my movies and being in the back of the movie and feeling people respond. And let me tell you, as someone who's been in movies, that's a terrible experience. That, that <laughs> I did not ring true at all. He was lying. That is a terrible, like you can't do anything about it. You're just, at, you're a hostage to your, every mistake that you made in your performance. And you have to sit there and watch it and do nothing about it. I'm sorry, you're lying, Chris Rock. <laughs> <laughs> the worst experience in showbiz. I mean, I suppose no, no, there is a worse one. It's going and watching a movie that you were almost in. <laughs> <laughs> then you really can't do anything. <laughs> that's really that's worse. That's worse. <laughs> what was the worst one? Was there a movie that you were almost in but you had to see because you really wanted to and it was it made you sad even if the movie was good? I'm curious. Uh... <laughs> you really you're you're hurting my heart here. Uh, yeah, there was a little film called Dead Poet Society, but we won't go into it. it. I'll tell you, it makes it hard for me to watch those before sunrise and after sunset films. And uh, I love Ethan Hawke now, but it's been a bumpy road. Have you seen all of Dead Poet Society? Have you actually watched it? Yeah, 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 and yeah. it wasn't even it wasn't even his role. But there's just something anyway. <laughs> well, what's what? Wait, uh, wait, 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 what's one that you were glad that it didn't work out after you watched the movie? <laughs> oh no, no. I mean, there's you know the films I've been in. I'm not a, I'm not opposed to being in bad. Is, I mean, I guess. But is I, there was, a movie? I was I was happy. <laughs> Go. <laughs> no, 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 right. no, no. I'm. I can't think if there's anyone. You know, I've been up for some really dumb ones. I was—I remember I was up for Pumpkinhead, but I'm not, you know, and I don't regret not being in Pumpkinhead, but yeah. I would have loved to have been in Pumpkinhead. The movie's Come great. On. That's a great movie. It would be awesome. 
you know, I have a that that would have been fantastic. So yeah, there's no movie like I was I wasn't up for the Twilight Zone movie. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to give like movies where people died on the set. Like that, I would... that's where you draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean okay, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, anyway, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get it off of me. Let's go back to talking uh, about this movie. Uh, I thought <laughs> it was interesting because last uh, we just did a few weeks ago a Tyler Perry's. We did an episode about Tyler Perry and talked about Temptation, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor, and that was our last. Was that episode. our last one? Yeah. And then yeah, uh, you're right. And then in this movie, the he goes to a theater, uh, and they're showing Boo, and so uh, Boo, the Medea Halloween movie. Now, what's interesting, though, is this movie actually was made before that existed as a real movie. So when I first saw this, I just assumed that was just Boo, because there is a movie called Boo and Medea Halloween. But it was a joke in this movie. It was them making fun of Medea and saying, wouldn't it be funny if there's a movie called Boo? This is like a Chris Rock joke. And then Tyler Perry was like, you know what? I'm actually going to make that movie. And then a few years after Top 5, he made Boo and Medea Halloween. Um... Is that the only time that's ever happened? Has there ever been another movie where there's a parody of a movie in the movie and then someone's like, you know what? Let's go make, let's make that movie. And then it gets made. Well, uh, you you could do it. With what? Find a, I don't know, find some joke in uh, Bowfinger. (laughs) And uh... someone actually makes Chubby Rain. Oh, that'd be so, yeah. that'd be so good. <laughs> that would be the next Eddie Murphy hit. Like make, just make Chubby Rain uh, and make it the same way where you don't tell the actor that they're in the movie. But, uh, but, but has there been a movie like, like where there, I mean, I guess you can kind of count maybe like Machete was like a fake gag trailer in Grindhouse. And then Robert Rodriguez was like, you know what? I'm going to make that into a, to a feature. I'm going to make, and actually make that movie. That's the only other one I can think of. Um, I mean, I guess you can count like there's SNL skits, like the fact that there's a MacGruber movie, which was like on the show was like a parody of MacGyver, and then they actually made the movie. Nah, I don't. That's of, that's definitely uh, kind of. I guess. That's, but no, no. I think I think you're onto <laughs> something. I think it's a rarity, and I think uh, if there's anyone out there who's a fan of the, you know, listen to the show, and you're like, oh, uh, you're missing this one. It's so obvious. <laughs> But I think that Get in touch with us. That just makes Tyler Perry even cooler. Like I already have convinced myself he's the coolest after we did our episode. But like the fact that he can watch this movie, Top Five, they're totally making fun of him. They're making fun of Medea, and he looks at that, and instead of being like upset or have his ego bruised, he's just like, "I'm yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make that movie <laughs> and a sequel, <laughs> and it's gonna make me a lot of money. Boo is gonna make more money than Top Five. And it did. <laughs> so it's like the in the end, Tyler Perry wins. Uh... <laughs> now let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Rosario Dawson in this because she's she. It's not really just a Chris Rock film. It's really a Chris Rock Rosario Dawson. Film. Yes, she's in the whole movie pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she's pretty great. Oh gosh, yeah. And like, and she really brings like a believability to the movie. Like Chris Rock, it's hard to kind of break out of his persona, but like Rosario Dawson, her character and the way she, he acts in this movie, it's very 
grounded. It kind of grounds the movie, I think, her in this. Like, she is the human, the humanity <laughs> in it. And her performance is very real. It just feels like I totally buy it, that she's this reporter hanging out with this guy, and, and she's really, really good. And then there's a lot of, like, kind of the, the, the back and forth they both have is really great. And it definitely kind of gets into that, almost that screwball comedy thing of like, they don't like each other really, or there's a little bit of apprehension, but then, you know, as they go through this, these ups and downs, they realize that they want to be together, you know? And I really like that. And I think that they play together very well. I would love to see more movies with both of them in it, actually. Cause I think that they had, they had actual chemistry in this film. There's a, there's a couple of interesting things about first of all there's did you feel like I'm going to get a little critical here did you feel like there's this whole thing where she's dating a guy who is either closeted gay or bisexual he likes ass play <laughs> yeah and <laughs> and he's punished for and it <laughs> he's he's punished for it. and do you feel like there's something like the film like leans a little bit heavy on the homophobia there. Like Chris Rock kind of picks on her about it. Like she's like, cause she's talking about how she dated two women and she, he's like, so you can go all Katie Lang, but if he tries it once, the, it doesn't apply. And she's like, I know it's not fair, but those are the rules. You know, I mean like it, I think it works for me in that. Cause it's Anders Holm plays the boyfriend and he's always really funny. And the way he does it is it doesn't feel necessarily well, well at first it doesn't feel like doesn't really feel like gay panic or homophobia because at first it really is just like he's into this freaky thing she's into it and then she's not into it because it's all he's into and i kind of saw it more as like when you're with someone and they're into this weird thing and then that's kind of the only sex you have and you're and you want more than just the one weird fetish that you have i mean it's definitely a harsh punishment because she <laughs> It ends with her shoving, putting hot sauce on a tampon and shoving it up his ass. <laughs> Definitely the most shocking thing in the movie. <laughs> now, I was th this this. We're gonna sound like uh, two white guys on this podcast, but the whole hot sauce in your bag thing. Because I remember I first started hearing about it because of Beyonce. And then I guess Hillary Clinton was talking about it during the 2016 campaign. Like she was trying to yeah. ride ride that train. Huh. But this is two years huh. before. And Rosario hmm. Dawson has this whole thing where she always carries her hot sauce in her bag. Is that the first time this showed up? And again, you may not be the right person to ask. But this whole thing of carrying hot sauce in your bag, it can't have started with this movie, this movie must be commenting on something that already exists because it was this larger thing. But have you followed that meme or that trend? <laughs> no, but I mean, like, it's possible that this is just sort of like, it's a thing people do, you know, and this is before it would kind of was more talked about and known with the celebrities, just like, you know, Paris Hilton was famous for having her little dog in her purse, but like there was people before Paris Hilton who carried, you know, little dogs in a purse around Beverly Hills. It's just sort of like, until you get someone on the level of like a Beyonce where it's like inescapable to know about like what's in her purse, you know, <laughs> like I think, you know, maybe this is the first uh, moment of pop culture, hot sauce and purse. Now, just to be clear, 
the the dog in the purse, the little dog in the purse is a living dog. It's alive. She walks around with her live dog. It's not like a dead dog in a purse. That would be gross. Yeah. <laughs> Why would anyone assume that it was a dead dog? I don't know. The you said it. She's purse. walking around with a dog in her purse. It just sounded like <laughs> it might be stuffed or <laughs> Anyway. So, yeah. So, uh Now, now we we don't advise anyone to to recreate the scene in which Rosario Dawson uh, puts hot sauce on her tampon and puts it in <laughs> Anders Holm's butt. <laughs> but or and we did this is a, a, a perfect moment <laughs> to mention that uh, that our our network, Paperhouse Network, has a new sponsor, which is Silk City Hot Sauce. And I've been loving their Bobby Biggs Chipotle. And uh, because they're a sponsor, we can offer you a special deal. Yes, this is a quick little ad read. We don't do these very much. But when it <laughs> connects so perfectly with the topic in our uh, that we're covering, it's worth mentioning. So if you'd like to get 15% off your order of Silk City Hot Sauce and a free bottle of Cherry Shriracha... All you got to do is go to SilkCityHotSauce.com, and when you place your order, use the keyword WORLD for your 15% off. They also have a hot pepper-infused maple syrup that comes in three varieties. There's ghost maple, reaper maple, and habanero maple. So if it's not enough for your hot sauce to be hot... You want your maple syrup to be hot. It also probably <laughs> applies better to your tampon. You might want to try that out. I want to see people start the trend of carrying hot maple syrup in their purse. Yeah, why not? I mean, people should just, honestly, just normal maple syrup. You go to get your breakfast and they have that crappy, sugary, just non-maple maple flavored syrup. And you just not haul real. out your, yeah. your jug of... <laughs> Something straight out of a tree and just pour it all. <laughs> Everyone's going to be jealous. I'm. Uh... <laughs> They'll be reenacting the scene from when Harry met Sally and saying, "I'm having what she's having." <laughs> we don't have to stop talking about about top five here. It just I wanted to. I saw the opportunity to to pitch the hot sauce <laughs> and use Rosario Dawson as a as a as a without her consent as a pitch woman for this. For this trend. No, that worked. It was great. It reminded me of like the old like Colgate comedy hours where they're like, and do you know that you can also smoke Lucky Strikes? I love Lucky Strikes. You know, let's, uh, I, I like, I think that's how advertisement should be. It should be honest. It should be the people just stopping and turning to the camera or their microphone and just telling us the thing as opposed to some commercial. Um. Commercials. <laughs> we don't do commercials wait a minute <laughs> we do play promos for our paper house compatriots that's okay i'm okay with okay. that um. <laughs> so any other performances in this film you want to give a give a shout out to before we move on i really i mean going back to it i love that scene in the bachelor party like it's it's rare to see jerry seinfeld in a movie ever it's like he's not in a lot of movies and he's really funny and just like seeing him like throwing, you know, dollar bills on strippers. <laughs> Never thought I'd see that in a movie. <laughs> and <laughs> and did you see, uh, and then Adam Sandler's in that scene and he's good and Whoopi Goldberg's great. Did you notice that uh, 
good Adam Sandler jab in the wedding planning scene. When oh yeah, uh, and she's they're they're when saying, Gabrielle like, they have, Union, like, yeah, yeah. Gabrielle Union's like has all the seats set up for the wedding, and they have like all the celebrities, and they kind of have cardboard cutouts of where people are sitting, and Adam Sandler's in like the first or second or first row, and she just grabs it and just moves it. <laughs> I'm assuming to the far back because <laughs> you don't want to see him on your reality <laughs> show. See, even within the world of top five, the world is wrong and mean about Adam Sandler. Even his friend, Chris Rock, will make a joke about how people love to hate Adam Sandler. Um... <laughs> the scene where he pitches Chris Rock on getting a prenup is actually really it was one of those scenes where the first time I watched it, it was kind of funny. And then the second time I watched it, it's like, this is just some really good, pure comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just the way that they go back and forth and his and the way he pitches it and then his reaction. It's like, you know, if he was less ambitious in a weird, like, as an actor and then as a producer, like, try, like I want to do my my goofy comedies playing these wild characters. And then I want to play, do real movies where I play real serious guys. But if he ever just played like a movie like this, like Chris rock, like where Mm -hmm. it's just like Adam Sandler being an Adam Sandler type guy and being funny, Mm -hmm. not necessarily funny people. um, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's this whole other part of his career that he just never, he never took advantage of. Cause that scene is like, I could just hang out for a movie with this guy and I never see him in movies. Like when he's being funny, he's always doing like Jack and Jill, like the, <laughs> doing yeah. a really like a, an out there character. Uh, I mean, and, in, and the, the closest I think would be maybe the Grown Ups movies where he's sort of like, and that actually Grown Ups 2 is when Chris Rock wrote top five in his trailer while making Grown Ups 2. But those movies like kind of have the feeling of like, a bunch of friends hanging out like, you know, cause it's Chris Rock and David Spade and Am Sandler and Kevin James. And like that kind of gets there, but at the same time, it still is played for this like bigger kind of Adam Sandler movie. It doesn't have the intimacy of that moment in this, in the in top five. So he's never really done that in a movie. No, I, I want to see that. I want to see a top five esque movie with Adam Sandler. Hmm. He has, yeah, he's not done a kind of hang out with Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, what about this? What about we have Kevin Hart in the movie? We didn't mention that that he's in it. There's a lot of cameos in this movie. We didn't mention that Doug Stanhope shows up in this film. Does he? Where's Doug Stanhope in this movie? He's one of the police officers. Oh, okay. I guess I don't know who Doug Stanhope looks like as a, a, a you know. He huh. kind of got like he didn't get. It's not much of a part. Also, another great comedian, Rick Shapiro plays uh, one of the biker guys in the AA meeting and you don't really again he doesn't he doesn't have much to do but he's just sort of hanging out as the the wallpaper like the insider comedy coolness uh, that's you know on the periphery of this film well uh let's go to a promo for one of our our fellow paper house podcasts and then come back and let you know what we're going to be doing next week hi there i'm on cars and I'm Shauna Lane, and we're the Gone Girls. Come listen to our podcast, The Gone Girls, on the Paperhouse Network. We're two comedians based out of New York City, and we podcast bi-weekly or whenever we feel like it. Need to figure out life? Us too. 
and we do it by interviewing anyone. We dive in deep with comics, improvisers, club managers, doctors, wait staff, mostly from the comfort of Shauna Subaru. We are trying to figure out how to get through this thing called life with our senses of humor intact. Join the Gone Girls on the Paperhouse Network. All right, we're back. Um, wait, before wait before we move on, I got one more thing. I think it's okay. like we have to we have to do this. What is your top five? Do you have My a top, top five? Did you, did you think about it when you were watching the video? Like, who is your top five? Okay. Um, this question, which Brian asked totally innocently, uh, totally caught me off guard and messed with me for, uh, you know, for weeks, probably going on now months since we recorded this episode. And I don't have a top five, but I have a list of five reasons why I don't have a top five. Number one, I feel embarrassed about my ignorance of hip-hop music in terms of being able to name the names and the dates and the singles and the albums the way I can about movies and some other music. Two, because I hate it when people talk about things I know well from a place of ignorance, even if it's well-meaning. To me, it's like fingers on a chalkboard. If you don't know what you're talking about, then don't act like you have an opinion. And I'm judgmental that way, and that makes it hard for me to make a list like this from a place of ignorance. Three, because even though there are so many kinds of music I can't speak authoritatively on from, I don't know, lots of different kinds of metal to bluegrass to, I don't know, just so many different strands of music, but... I don't feel guilty about it. Maybe that's because being ignorant of hip-hop can come off as being hostile to hip-hop, which can be a way of saying you're hostile to way more than just music. Uh, And so that's not the case, but it's just, I don't know, it's one of the reasons why I just froze when he asked me that question. Uh, For... Why? Because I'm white and nerdy and just uh, a little too old. That's just the truth. And five, because I guess I respect hip-hop so much that I haven't wanted to invade its space. And now that question made me realize that that respect also has made me ignorant. And that's embarrassing. Back to the show. Yeah, so I have one, and it was really easy because, like, I didn't realize how easy it was. It's in my head. I was like, "Yes, these are my top five. and this will be an order from five to one. So I, I put uh, as five the uh, Black Sheep, which I love. They, they only had one album, I think, maybe two. So good. Uh, mm-hmm. The Beastie Bo- Beastie Boys. I grew up with the Beastie Boys. It's like some of my favorite music. I think that stuff is so fun and great. And they never made a bad album. Then A Tribe Called Quest. Big fan of A Tribe Called Quest. Then Public Enemy is so good. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. And then number one is Wu-Tang Clan. I'm a huge Wu-Tang Clan fan, especially those first two albums. And some of the offshoot albums, like ODB's first album, is amazing, too. So that's my top five. Well, I'll give you a high five for your top five. (laughs) 
Thanks for I, what I want to say is, Brian, I just want to say thank you for being 10 years younger than me. <laughs> By the time you were coming up, all those weird stigmas that I was that I yeah. came up with, they were gone. And uh, yeah, and I, no, I, I both I, envy you and also I'm so grateful to be co-hosting a show with you to make our, 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 our show just a little bit more relevant. So thank you. I bring I bring in the youth. You know, I'm the, I'm the youthful energy that. Uh, <laughs> Have I told you about the time I interviewed Abby Hoffman for my school paper? <laughs> <laughs> Who? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> No, it's weird. I've always remembered hip hop. Like there wasn't a time in my life where I don't remember that being around. Like when I was five, I had a record player and I wanted to be Grandmaster Flash. So I ruined a lot of my parents' records by scratching it on the record player because it sounded cool. I loved it. I wanted to be a DJ. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard rap and it was on Rapture. Blondie's Rapture <laughs> came out as a single. Yeah. <laughs> I was in seventh grade and everyone was doing that. And then I guess it was the, I guess it was, you know, I, I don't know what was, probably it was the Beastie Boys. You know, it's just like what was on MTV. It was yeah. basically as, as rap and hip hop found its way onto MTV, it found it way, its way into my life. Yeah. Uh, but I, that's to say that it, that very little. Because for a long time, MTV was pretty segregated mm-hmm. in its programming. Um, mm-hmm. So, True. yeah. Yeah. So, when we're not doing this podcast, we each have our own other podcasts that we do. You have the Radio 8 Ball Show, where you answer questions by picking songs at random. Is there anyone... Like, this movie has tons of people in it. Is there anyone in Top 5 that made it on your show? Oh, yeah. The great... Rick Shapiro. Are you familiar with Rick Shapiro, the comedian? I'm not. I'm not. Oh, if you ever watched the Lucky Louie series, he played Mm -hmm. Pamela Adlon's weird brother, who at one point in the series has a full frontal just walking around naked scene in this (laughs) sitcom, uh, HBO sitcom. But it was just one of those like wild things. And he... In his heyday in New York City, he really had that Lenny Bruce, like, on fire, constantly riffing, like, pure stream of consciousness, genius thing going. And he played a lot at the Sidewalk Cafe. And I went to see, I saw him many times there. And then when he came out to Hollywood to work on Lucky Louie, we reconnected. And then once he was coming through Seattle, and we had him on the show, and he was hilarious i loved doing with those doing the shows with him because he's both hilarious and tragic and dangerous and funny he also showed up in uh, several episodes of marin the okay. tv show and i think he was in uh Pootie tang as well so yeah rick shapiro check him out he's amazing nice and uh and you you host another podcast uh, called The Director's Wall with your co-host, A.J. Gonzalez, in which you look at a filmmaker's filmography from top to bottom, from stem to stern. And you're currently exploring the, the work of Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Um, now, basically, one of the games that people who follow the show 
have uh, probably come to love <laughs> is the game where we ask Brian what <laughs> film he thinks they're going to be on, and then he tells us about a film that he is that show is weeks away from. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> so here we are in February. My guess is Peggy Sue got married. That's where I think we're going to be in February. So I just want to be clear. (laughs) Just want to be clear that the week that this is coming out, that that we're recording this, is the week that our One Trick Pony episode is coming out. And in it, you predict that you're going to be, you'll you'll be on Rumblefish. And we're we're still on Hammett. Hey, I just did the Outsiders. It's coming out. The week that we record this, so Rumblefish is a few weeks away. We're close. I was, I was close. I was one movie off. Okay. So, okay. Okay. You know, <laughs> this is the problem of doing stuff in advance. We also might all be dead by the time this comes out. You know, we can't predict. It's true. What's going to happen in the future? Like, like <laughs> let's just. February is great. Oh, I love being here in February. It's what a wonderful life we all have. How about that? That's better. Be optimistic. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about The Outsiders and Rumblefish. Those two, those are two amazing films with incredible casts. And uh, and have you ever? No, we just we said there's only three Chris Rock films so far. But would you ever consider doing like a director's wall, like sidebar? Like I kind of, yeah, I kind of thought it could be fun. To between, because like when you do something like Coppola, it takes years because the guy's made so many movies. Um, and I think that's a case for a lot of these filmmakers. But I think it could be fun, like between seasons, doing some people that just did a few movies that are worth that are noteworthy. And like I think Chris Rock could totally work for that. You know, just cover those three movies and or even just do an episode, just one episode about like let's spotlight this filmmaker and all his movies. You know, like for sure, that's definitely been something I've thought about. You know, I, I just I'm sitting here thinking it might be cool. I'll just throw out an idea. You know, between the episodes, you should, or between not between the episodes, but between your seasons, you should probably do a thing where you let the audience chime in, and then you could even you could probably get a couple of episodes out of just being like, okay, well, here's the ones that we're considering, and you could talk about all of them and sort of make the case for them. And then build up some, some excitement about what what are they going to pick? What are they going to pick? I like and then that. You pick the one, and then you can maybe do an episode about the runner ups and sort of build that up. But the, you can you could get a few more. You could just get a few more directors into the conversation before you go deep diving into Hitchcock or something, and then you won't have another opportunity for seven years. <laughs> That's the nice thing about our show here is that every month I can do something different. Whereas I'm locked in the Coppola for you know. For a while, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to be Coppola, <laughs> <laughs> but at least it's something good, I guess. But I think we will never pick somebody that's totally unwatchable because then that would be like you're stuck. Because I, I have to finish it; I could not finish their filmography. So whatever. Oh, and you know what? Speaking speaking of, I don't know about all this is, but an honorable mention. I just we you you suggested that I watch two days in New York to get up to speed on this one. And you Mm -hmm. did not, you failed to mention that 
one of the most amazing things about that film, and I'm sorry if this is a spoiler alert, I guess, maybe it is or maybe it isn't, but that it features a really amazing cameo from our uh, beloved and uh, also uh, sort of tragic friendship with Vincent Gallo. Oh, yeah. He shows up to to buy Julie Delpy's soul and then uh, hide it in his crotch. <laughs> and as you, I was, as you do, <laughs> I, I was very, very happy to see that. And he's like, he's the he seems like you know you could do a like these directors who've only done three or four, two or three. What is he's done three films? Yeah, you know that's you could do like a little thing of just like you know that maybe they don't deserve a director's wall yet, but you know upcoming director's wall. Yeah, 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 for anyway. sure. Anyway, well, uh, if you've enjoyed this show, we'd love to hear from you. At uh, You can reach out to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And what else? What else? Is there anything else we need to let people know before we go? Probably that's it. Yeah, no, that's it. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we uh, hope we didn't ruin. I don't. We didn't really spoil top five. We didn't. There's no. There's. We didn't give away too many secrets, except for the uh, the whole hot sauce stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, hope you. If if you haven't checked out the film, I hope this will make you do so. And if you have checked it out, I hope you dug the show. And next week we'll be covering one of my choices, a film called Black Snake Moan. Ooh. Check it out. It's awesome. And until next week, just remember that wherever you are, the world is wrong. And it's probably wrong about you. She asks about you all the time. What'd she say? She said, how your big friend doing? My big... Is that what that bitch think about me? I'm big like that? For real? I'm just That's saying. that Hollywood shit, Andre. That's that Hollywood I'm shit. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I ain't got my invitation. Well, because cause they figured we could, you know, Andre, the hotel you, you the shit right now. and the airfare. Everybody's coming to the bachelor party, right? I want to. General Tao over here. I said no, because he don't know how to come home and shit, making it rain. We need our fucking ones. Put that down and have the fucking seat. I mean, come on. There's gonna be a TV crew there. Erica picked out everything. They even giving out gift bags. Gift bags? Nigga, kill yourself. Oh, man. What, what, what's wrong with a gift bag? They got lots of cool shit in there. <laughs> nigga, in gift bag. He's a corny ass nigga. All right. I got another five grand. What you got? Oh, hey! Can I get one of them gift bags? Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tig Notaro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show.